But um, I don't know if it's a good idea or not, really, but um, I, picked, I picked, in a way, the most difficult um, sort of bit of today's thinking to do um, this afternoon. I called it In the Belly of the Whale, um, which I'll get to in a minute. But before we get to that, cast your minds back to before lunch. Just open to any questions, <laughs> comments, challenges, things that occurred to you. Um, you might not remember, because I know it's a long time before lunch, but if anything you wanted to ask or chip in, then we can do that before we move on um, any further. You mentioned pain and struggle, and that's, bear with me, that's kind of where we are, really, um, for the next little while. Uh, I called this sheet um, in the belly of the whale, uh, a reference to some extent to Jonah. Um, I expect we all know the story of Jonah, uh, who uh, had a sense of call from God and didn't like the idea very much and uh, ran away, tried to go in another direction and was got swallowed by a whale. So uh, the narrative goes. Uh, there's a very good book called I think it's The Dark Night of the Soul or something like that, written by Thomas More. I don't know if you know it. Um, I recommend it. It's about navigating what he calls the night sea journey, the dark belly of the whale kind of place. Now, all spiritual traditions, <coughs> including the Christian tradition, have somewhere in their story these motifs or themes or metaphors or whatever you want to call them of transitional, liminal, dark places. So if we just take the Christian tradition, just for a start, immediately you can think of language such as wilderness, or um, desert, or death and resurrection, and some of those things. Uh, the wasteland, the dark night of the soul. And these are all ways of thinking about how we move from one place to another. And sometimes, yes, there's pain and the struggle um, in that. And uh, if you read uh, Walter Brueggemann, he did a lot of work on the Psalms, and he called um, the, the, the process that he found in the Psalms, or some of the Psalms, a uh, kind of process that you will identify moving sometimes from a place of orientation, if you like, something about we know our identity, wind flow, praising God, we're looking at the southern horizon, if you want to use that metaphor, you know it's good, we're celebrating, thank you. And then things kind of happen and we find ourselves disorientated. And I'm sure you will immediately recognise that. And we start to ask those questions about where are you God? Uh, what's, what's happened? Um, I'm losing my sense of moorings and maybe the way that I thought faith worked or the way that I thought God was at work for me <coughs> isn't quite working anymore. I mean, typically it can happen at a time of crisis when up to a certain point your experience has been that you pray uh, and God in some way, shape or form seems to answer your prayers and you're carried on a, a wave of, of, of trust and, and faith and, and this you know, is how you live your life. And then all of a sudden one day that doesn't seem to work anymore. You might even feel that God has disappeared um, or let you down. And you think, oh, ooh, what's, I'm lost now because is it my fault? 
to God, is, is, does God not actually exist? Um, is God not the God that I thought God is? Um, what, do I, what do I do with that? And he says, well, you go through that pain and struggle, and eventually you come to a reorientation. And there's Thanksgiving again, and things begin to have some sort of context again. But you haven't just gone back to where you started, because you've been through a process, you've been through a meltdown, if you like. Uh, Richard Raw talks about it as, I think, ordering and disordering and reordering. Same kind of language for the same kind of thing. And in that space in the middle, there's chaos, isn't there? Now, chaos isn't necessarily destructive. I read somewhere that when the... Um, when a chrysalis is forming, you might read this, um, and it goes into its cocoon, um, it all sort of melts down and it completely disintegrates and its DNA is reworked and when the butterfly comes out, it's completely reshaped. And you can't interrupt that process, you can't break it open at the wrong time or speed it up because you'll just kill the thing. But chaos is doing its work and chaos isn't necessarily bad. Now, if you've been through a time of chaos, there are difficult times in our lives which feel very destructive. But there are other times when we have to kind of ride what's happening, we have to go with it, um, because it's that process of disorientation. Now, there's a lot of models, um, talking about models of the person, um, there's also models for how people change and grow. And some of you will have, I'm sure, done some work on that. Um, and in a spiritual sense, somebody uh, called James Fowler did a lot of work on stages of faith. Some of you might be uh, familiar with that. And what he talks about really is transition. And there is a key transition that often happens in our faith journey when we've belonged in a certain place and things have made sense in a certain kind of way and we felt ourselves at home perhaps in a certain kind of community um, certain kind of faith group certain kind of liturgy um, certain ways of expressing our faith I mean, what kind you know, it's high church, low church doesn't matter what kind, but we found ourselves in a certain space and then for whatever reason the space that we've been at home in doesn't feel like home anymore uh, so John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul, a phrase which I think is often uh, much misunderstood. But what, what um, St John really meant by the dark night of the soul was when you, you get to a place where all the things that have taken you into the presence of God, all the things that have given you spiritual consolation, all the things that have sustained you and supported you and where you found uh, joy and hope and trust, kind of don't seem to work anymore. You know, once you read the Bible and it just opened and, and spoke to you and every word was filled with meaning and joy and then you come to a point where you just open it and no matter how hard you try, you might as well be reading, you know, the back of the cereal packet or something. Same with prayer. You know, there was a time when all you had to do was sit down and, and you had a sense that God was present and all of a sudden it's just like you know, you can just hear the clock ticking and, and that's it. Or you go to your usual place of worship, um, whatever that is, and whereas it used to take you into a deep sense of the presence of God and the music and the liturgy or whatever it was, 
seem to connect for you, all of a sudden it's not working anymore. And maybe people around you are, are talking about God in ways that don't make sense to you anymore. And they're trying to encourage you, and they're trying to say helpful, encouraging things, uh, and, and they're not making sense. And if you've ever been through a difficult time, um, people love to give you books, don't they? So, you know, if you a book by somebody, and all you want to do is just bash them over the head with it, and actually, I have been known to take books home and bury them somewhere, and kind of not read them, simply because I was so annoyed that somebody could be that insensitive to give me a book at a certain time in my life. I think, how could you possibly know what I'm going through? And how could you possibly think that giving me this book, you know, is because I don't know what's going on, but a book is not going to fix it right now. So we're in that place. Now, a very extreme kind of metaphor, it might be Holy Saturday. I don't know if you've ever had a kind of Holy Saturday experience. Now, what happens after Good Friday? There's the disciples. Jesus is dead, buried, gone. Now, I know that Jesus had said that you know after three days he would be raised from the dead. But I think I think the disciples kind of forgot that. I think that wasn't at the forefront of their mind. And when those disciples were walking to Emmaus, take that from they really thought it was over. The end. Maybe we got it all wrong. Maybe we just hoped things just, you know, whatever. But we're done and dusted here. Now, the point about resurrection is that it comes as a surprise. If you're expecting it, it's not a resurrection. You know what I mean? So, have you had a time, I wonder, when all you've got is the bits? You know what I mean? And actually, there are times in our faith when we go, well, this is, this is pretty tough, this is really difficult, but it will be all right. Um, because I know God will see me through and uh, I've got faith and I've got hope and I've got trust and it will be alright. There are times in our lives when we kind of look at the bits and we kind of think, well, I don't know where this goes now. I feel as though I've kind of got to the, the bottom place and I don't know if it's fixable. I can't see how it's fixable. I can't actually see how God is in this or how this is going to work and I don't know where to go with it. And that's what I mean by kind of holy Saturday experience. And of course we we know these are story, but the disciples didn't. And I think it's it's like that with our own experiences of death and resurrection sometimes. A friend of mine um, had a breakdown some years ago. He was working very hard and it all got a bit conflicted and working for sort of more than one job in effect and the demands all got very, very difficult. Anyway, um, he and his wife went to, uh, he, he had some time off, gave up the job, went on holiday and he and his wife went to the Holy Land and they were going to be there over Easter. And my friend decided that on Easter Sunday the resurrection was going to happen. You know what I mean? But yeah, we're going to be in Holy Land, I've been through a three tough time, now it's all going to be okay. So on Easter Sunday, I'm going to go and have mass or whatever at the garden tomb. And, uh, the resurrection is going to break through my life and I'm going to come back ready for the next chapter in my life. And I'm so excited about this because I think I deserve resurrection after everything I've been through. This is the moment of glory. So what happens? He goes to the Holy Land 
Easter Sunday, it's pouring with rain. He and his wife have some horrendous stomach bug or something and are confined to their hotel room. Resurrection does not happen. And he's so cross. It's like, God, we talked about this. <laughs> this was going to happen. So anyway, he comes home, very surprised. About, I don't know, three weeks, three months later, whatever it was, he's out one day, the sun's shining, he's out in a garden somewhere, and the sun breaks through the clouds and shines through an archway or something, and all of a sudden there's this incredible moment of peace and reconciliation and, gosh, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I've, I've come through, we're going to go on. And it was that grace-filled resurrection moment, so unexpected, so unplanned, and absolutely not engineered by him. So that's what we have to kind of be open to, but without being able ever to um, engineer it. Um, so what I thought we might be here is um, those dark... Those dark places, I don't want to get too bogged down, you know, we are going to move on to resurrection, but <laughs> honestly, because we know, we know, resurrection is a, it's, it's a, it's a universal principle, isn't it? It's, it's something, the cycle comes round, there's death and there's resurrection, and, and the words of Jesus, you know, except a grain, a grain of wheat fall into the ground. A friend of mine says, we don't learn anything from delight. Now, I don't actually agree with that. I don't think that's true. I think we do learn a lot from delight, thank God. But it is also true that our journeys through the underworld, in the belly of the whale, through the slough of despond, or whatever we like to call it, they do change us, don't they? And I certainly know people who've had extraordinarily difficult experiences who yet can say... I don't thank God for that, and yet it has come with gifts and with something redeemable, something that has come out of it. Now, I put uh, on the sheet uh, a couple of things. This, the, the, the first section on my sheet is from a book called How Faith Grows, which is about James Fowler's um, sort of theory, if you can call it that, model, I guess you might call it, of stages of faith. How we move from one place to another, through transitions, which can be quite uncomfortable because there comes a time when you think, I'm not at home anymore. I need to find a new place to belong. And, and is it me? Or do I need to find new ways of living? Um, so this, this book is just one book which is about this particular thing. And he, he talks about this stage of faith where we, we have to know who we are for ourselves. You know, at a certain stage in our life, we can be taught lots of things, we can accept lots of things, we can go along with things, and we can benefit from the, the community or the environment that we're in. But sometimes there comes a time when we think, maybe I'm losing the plot, but that's not working for me anymore. Now, unfortunately, I'm the sort of person that tends to ask questions. Now, I don't know if you've had this experience, but... Uh, if you ever been in a group, you know, where some people have been having a discussion about something or other, and they're all very happy with what you're talking about, and I seem to seem to find myself so often going, "Ah, oh, but maybe no," or "That doesn't quite work," or "What about?" And you can begin to think, "Gosh, I'm I'm very awkward, aren't I?" But I have to tell the truth. I have to follow my instincts. I have to question. 
um, what's not working. And that can be very uncomfortable. And he, so we have to know who we are for ourselves. We have to live by some kind of inner, authentic truth. We can't pretend. How hard it is to live the life of faith, whatever that means for us, if it's not like a stick of rock, do you know, all the way through, you can't pretend to be there. It has to be integrated and authentic. So I must know who I am for myself. And if you're in a place where, for whatever reason, it's not allowing you to be yourself, who God's called you to be, then we need to find a place where we are. And he says, growing up in faith always involves a loss of an old faith and a time out in the wilderness before the new way of faith can be entered upon. Some people stay where they are. That's absolutely fine. That's, you know, we all find where we need to be. Some people move and travel. Some people stay in a simple faith that nurtures them and which is good and true and holy. Now, he talks about the sacramental defeat and the reality of irrevocable commitments and acts. It's a strange phrase, isn't it, the sacrament of defeat? But it's, but it's what I mean by this kind of holy, subtle moment where something is broken, something dies. Maybe it's our own fault, maybe it's just life, maybe it's whatever happens to us, and we find ourselves in this difficult, defeated kind of place, broken, crucifixion place. What does he mean by the sacrament of defeat? I think if you've, if you've experienced that, then you might have a sense of what that is. A sacrament is something that takes us into an experience, an encounter, uh, a moment of spiritual uh, connection, if you like. So, can a defeat, can a kind of breaking, kind of difficult place when you've just got the bits. In what sense is that sacramental? It's sacramental if you can hold the pieces and allow somehow the life of God through them. There's a word, isn't there? Somebody here probably knows what it is, and I can't remember what it is. Um, there's a word for that thing. Uh, I think it's a Japanese an artistic thing, when you have lots of broken bits and then you glue them together and you stick them together with gold, do you know what I mean? Uh, it looks really good and it's kind of an art form. So instead of throwing something away, somebody? It's Japanese, it's an art form, I can look it up anyway. You've probably seen it, you know, it's where you see a plate or a bowl. Raku. Raku, there you go. It's when you stick things together with gold, or you paint gold, where the fractures have been. Now, that's a great image of resurrection, isn't it? It's a great image. And actually, you look at the thing, the bits, and you think, well, that's impossible. And yet, when they're put back together, the glue becomes unstuck, and the seams, the seams become unstitched. We've all had that some stage, I'm sure. Now, Thomas More, I mentioned this book, On Dark Nights of the Soul, great book. He says, because he's talking about Jonah, but he's also talking about this night sea journey as, as a motif that comes through classical literature, different spiritual traditions, 
Um, it, it's, a, it's a kind of rite of passage that finds expression in, in many, many different contexts. He says, when you're on a night sea journey, be taken. Don't try to have it finished. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to outsmart it. You wouldn't interfere with the natural birth process, so don't fidget your way into a journey of soul that will make you more of a person and reveal your destiny. And he goes on to say, in the belly of the whale, you're given a chance to start over. You get another morning in your life. That's the point of the night sea journey, to be born into yourself. You're journeying towards your own life. The promise is exhilarating, but the dangers are extreme. You have to avoid being just one of the crowd and instead take the chance of being born an individual. When, when Jonah um, came up on the shore, on the whale, um, sort of spewing out on the shore, I guess he was a changed man. And actually he went on to respond differently to his sense of vocation. Uh, the scriptures talk about Jonah praying um, from the belly of the world and wrestling uh, and finding a place of praise because that's all that he knew how to do. And eventually there comes a time when he's given a new opportunity, given a, a new start, and, and he does actually go off to, to Nineveh and uh, fulfil what he was supposed to do there. But an interesting question is, was it necessary, was it important? Maybe it was. Um, that he had to have that experience. What would have happened if Jonah had just gone in the first place? I don't know. But when he did go, he went with that experience of being in the belly of the whale. So whatever our dark nights, our womb-like, tomb-like experiences, whatever they are, they do shape us, they do change us, and they do give us a, a quality of depth and understanding um, that we might not otherwise... Uh, have. So that doesn't make you know, difficult things right, doesn't make them God's will, but I think God takes whatever we have, whatever we experience, and can put that gold, uh, gold threads in it. 